Good morning, everyone. My name is Carl Drake, and I'm a member of this church. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us here and online this morning. Since 1870, UU Wausau has served as a vital force for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are currently worshiping both in person and online, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook or Instagram for updates. With that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. At this time, if you want to please rise and greet your neighbors. Handshakes, hugs, fist pumps. Good to see you all. Please join me in reciting the church's chalice lighting. The words are in your order of worship. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Please stand and join in the singing of hymn number 1007.
I forgot to mention one announcement. Next Sunday, our summer services kick off in the atrium with a live stream of the UUA General Assembly Sunday morning service. Please join us in our beautiful atrium at 11.30 a.m. and stay after for social time with your fellow congregants. Our summer services will not be live streamed on the church's YouTube page, but audio will be posted on our Podbean account when possible. At this time, will you gather me in repeating our affirmation? Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest of truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. We gather in peace to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve human need, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony with the divine. Thus do we covenant with each other. And our doxology. It's nice to see everybody. So there are a lot of movies made in 2003. You might have your favorites, but there is one movie that beats them all in 2003, and that movie is Freaky Friday, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. It was the best movie made in 2003. I promise you, if you haven't seen it, tune in and rewatch it. So anyways, if you don't know the premise of Freaky Friday, I'm going to describe it in uh, just a very, very uh, short uh, summary of it. What happens is there's this uh, young high school age uh, girl and her mom is about to get remarried. Uh, unfortunately, the woman's uh, first husband died. Uh, the children lost their father. And she's going to get remarried. And she's, a, as you might imagine, a somewhat typical high schooler, right? She's rebellious. She doesn't want to listen to her mom. And lo and behold, she gets this big break for her rock group to play at the House of Blues of on all nights, her mother's wedding rehearsal night. This went over like a you-know-what in church. No one liked this at all. And so what happens is they go out to dinner to try to celebrate this, and by some twist of magic, I'm not going to get into the details, they switch bodies, and they wake up the next morning in one another's bodies. That would be horrifying. Just, they were horrified. It's a, I love the scene right when they wake up. But anyways, so what do you think that movie's about? I'll tell you what I think it's about, because I've watched it 2,400 times in the past month with my daughter, so I know exactly <laughs> what this movie is about. What the movie I think is about is I think it's about empathy, right? The daughter doesn't want to sympathize with where the mom is at or empathize with where the mom is at, right? I want you to be a part of this wedding. And the mom doesn't understand where the daughter's at. Look, this is maybe my big break. These are my friends, and those things undeniably matter to high schoolers, right? So what is empathy? Empathy is our ability to sort of forgo our own wants and desires so that we can consider someone else's and maybe, after considering their perspective, actually put ourselves in their shoes 
and maybe make a decision that we might otherwise not have made or made. Does that make sense? Is that a fair description of empathy? So I was reading this book about empathy, and it turns out that scientists have actually discovered exactly where empathy is happening in your brain. Would you like to touch where empathy happens? So take your index finger and just drop it on the right side of your ear, where your ear meets your skull. Now just move it up about an inch and move it back an inch. There you have it. That's your empathy. That's your self-control right there. So anyways, the next time you're feeling really ragey at the store or whatever, just go, drop this, drop this. Are you working? Are you working? Anyways, I, in, in this book that I was reading about empathy and doing this great character study of Freaky Friday that I've been doing 2,400 times, it dawned on me as I was reading this book that empathy, really what it does is it gives yourself, your future self, insurance. Here's what I mean by that. How many of you think if you're a jerk to your friends, they're going to be nice to you in the future? If you're lucky, might be. But by and large, how you earn the love and the continued care of people is what? Being nice, being sympathetic, being empathetic. And so as scientists have discovered right where empathy happens in our brain, they've also discovered sociologically that if you want to be cared for and loved by your friends and family in the future, you have to be willing to forgo your own wants and put yourselves occasionally in their shoes. And if you need a reminder of this, just watch 2003's Freaky Friday, and it will teach you everything you need to know about empathy, I promise. And it's got a great song, uh, by the way. So with that, let's sing our children's song uh, to bless this uh, gathered body and also the people joining us online. Our song. The mission and ministry of UU Wausau is made possible by the generous support of its friends and members. Rather than pass a plate at this time, we place an offering basket at the back of the sanctuary for you to drop a gift in. You can also stop by our website, uuwausau.org, and make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you so much for your support.
like to invite you to join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. You can start by putting your feet flat and firm on the ground if you'd like. If it is your custom to pray or meditate with your eyes closed, go ahead and close them. Let's start with a scan of our bodies on the top of your head. The air stirring, the heat. On down into your face, relax your jaw. Take a breath and let your shoulders relax. Take a deep breath full into your stomach and slowly out. Let us pray. Tender, surprising, compassionate spirit of life. We give thanks for all that you have done, yet we still dare to ask for more. Your broken, aching world is filled with violence and grief, with anger and desolation. And so we pray for all who live in constant fear, whose lives are marked by war for those who are wounded in body or soul and for those whose hearts are broken by a life without hope. We pray for all whose lives are marked by natural and industrial disasters, for people who have lost livelihoods and homes and loved ones, for livestock and pets that are frightened and hungry, and for all who work tirelessly to help. We pray for those who live in sickness and pain, for those who love them and give them care, and for all the healers who bring relief. We pray for those in far-off places and for those who are closest to us. And we pray for our own needs and for those who cannot pray for themselves. Let us call to mind all the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen. Let us stay seated for our prayer hymn number 352, Find a Stillness.
Our reading this morning is the poem French Chocolates by the poet Ellen Bass. If you like this poem and you go out and find it uh, on your own, you'll notice that I um, did some edits. I changed it from rated R to rated PG-13. So if you notice the discrepancy, that's, that's why. French Chocolates, the poet writes, if you have your health, you have everything. Is something that's said to cheer you up when you come home early and find your lover with someone, a stranger, obviously not over for dinner. Or it could be you lose your job at Happy Meals because you can't stop smudging the stars on all those 10 teeny American flags. I don't begrudge you your extravagant vitality. May it blossom like a cherry tree. May the petals of your cardiovascular excellence and the accordion of your polka of your lungs sweeten the mornings of your loneliness. But for the ill, for you with nerves that fire like a rusted out burner on an old barbecue, with bones as brittle as spun sugar, with a migraine hammering like a blacksmith in the flaming forge of your skull, may you forever be spared friends who say, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, and ask what gifts being sick has brought you. May they just keep their mouths shut and give you French chocolates and daffodils and maybe a small original Matisse. Say open window, <laughs> an original Matisse. Say open window collier so you can look out at the boats floating on the dappled pink water. Therein ends our reading.
taken as my sermon text this morning, the sixth chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, beginning in the seventh verse. Do not be deceived, he writes. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow with your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh, but if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. I like to think of the phrase, you reap what you sow as the biblical equivalent of karma. Karma, overly simplified, is linked to the idea of rebirth in many Indian religions. Karma says that our actions influence our future. If you want a happy rebirth, you better step up your good deed hustle. If you end up with a bad rebirth, that means you were a first-rate jerk. Cause and effect, good and bad. A lot of people are challenged by karma, especially the simplistic understanding of it, the idea that you reap what you sow. After all, accident happen. Illness happens, people get caught in the crossfire every day. And we should be sensitive to these concerns. But as legitimate as our reservations about karma may be, it's hard to deny that there is something about it that rings true. If you want a loving marriage, you need to be nice. If you want to be a good parent, you have to be more tender and patient than rough and hurried. I was reminded of karma about a month ago as my wife and I had a conversation about the videos that kept popping up on our YouTube and TikTok accounts. 
For those of you who don't know, both of these social media websites, really all social media websites, are managed by something called algorithms, which are computer codes or encoded digital laws that shape how technology interacts and the way social media interact is different for every user. I'm gonna put that another way. Every single thing you watch on YouTube or Netflix, it goes into a database and it's compared against mountains and mountains of data to see if other people have viewing patterns just like you. And all those data gremlins, they pipe back onto your screen new videos and advertisements that they think will appeal to you. The modern internet is essentially a self-referential hamster wheel that is very good at predicting what you want to see and what you want to buy. So I'm going to assume that everyone here uses the internet for communication or shopping or entertainment at least a bit. So you've noticed that whenever you search the web for new shirts and tennis shoes, the internet sort of follows you around for the rest of the day. Hours, sometimes even days later, after you've surfed the web for new shirts and shoes, you'll head on over to read some online news at the New York Times or the Daily Herald, and ads for those very same shoes and shirts you were just looking at are conveniently right alongside that article you clicked on about all the dying polar bears. Or you'll watch a video on YouTube that has an ad for a car you Google just out of curiosity on your phone sometime way last week. Or last month when you got COVID and you spent five whole days on the couch wiping your nose and binge watching Saved by the Bell and Wonder Years. You saw that the next time you opened Netflix, you were bombarded with suggestions that the next time you wanted Netflix and chill, you should do so with yet another 90s era sitcom like Full House or Roseanne. So as I learned in an article by Megan O'Gleben in Wired just the other week, everything you do on the internet is logged. And by everything, I mean literally everything. Even that thing you search for in the private browser, I know no one in here does it, it's the Presbyterians, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what you might not know about modern technology is that the billion dollar algorithms that companies protect at all costs, they sort us into categories. You see the play on karma here, right? Everyone likes to think that we are a rugged individualist and that we're unique as a snowflake, but you're not. Everything you think, everything you like, it's all been shaped by countless factors. Where you live, how you were raised, your age, your relationship status, and so on. All these variables add up to make you, you. But they also fall into discernible categories and trends that data scientists program into their complex algorithms that hold true across entire populations of people. In fact, data scientists and programmers empowered with an entire universe of digital information can accurately predict people's political views based on their fashion preferences. For instance, how many of you knew that L.L. Bean buyers, on the whole, tend to lean conservative? Who'd have thunk it? I didn't. Or who of you would have thought that the brand Kenzo, which is really popular in Europe, or Patagonia, all the people who like Kenzo and Patagonia, they tend to lean liberal. In fact, our personality traits can be gleaned from what kind of music we like. 
Here's an example. Nicki Minaj fans, do you all know Nicki Minaj? Nicki Minaj fans, on the whole, tend to be extroverted. And when introverts were asked what kind of music they like, they pretended they got a phone call and they just walked away. <laughs> exactly why these correlations occur is still a total mystery. But the reliability of them suggests that none of us are quite the masters of our universe as we think. And so every time you log into the internet and browse around for shirts and shoes and all those unmentionables, you contribute to a thousand shadow selves who, like you, are out there in the world streaming, viewing, and purchasing many of the very same things as you. Somewhere right out in the world, as we speak, is something close to a mirror self. There's some guy or gal, like you last week, who rocked out to Nicki Minaj wearing a puffer vest from L.L. Bean and a pair of Birkenstocks driving around in a hybrid sedan. If you want another example of this, I'll give you one that should cut a little bit close to the bone. So Unitarian Universalists really pride themselves on thinking they're unique. We're not. Case in point. If, like me, you enjoy worshiping at UU churches whenever you travel to different states or even countries, you've probably noticed that none of our churches are ever quite alike. We worship differently. Our buildings are vastly different. But what's not different, if you pay close attention, are the kinds of cars in the parking lot. <laughs> Subarus and hybrids, as far as the eye can see. Now I could go on and I could name clothing brands that I commonly see on Unitarian Universalist chest whenever they walk into church in the morning, but I will let you do that investigating on your own. Give me a book report. So data scientists have a word for this and they call it user similarity. Now we might lament how unoriginal we are. We might lament that our karma of searching comes back to haunt us. We might lament how many users out there on the internet are basically just like us. Nobody liked being that kid in school who showed up on picture day wearing the same shirt as the nerd who sits on the other side of the classroom. But our unoriginality can be something we celebrate in the sense that who we are, what we like, the clothes and shoes we enjoy, the news we read, we're all a bit of a gift from an anonymous stranger who share and shapes the preferences and therefore shapes the way we experience our life. We get to enjoy our shirts and shorts because someone else enjoys them too. This bit of knowledge gets us closer to the other more proper understanding of karma, and it's this, the principle of interdependence. So everything in the world is connected somehow, even by a loose tether, to something else. This we know for certain today. In fact, there's this large and growing web where the actions of people on one continent can be felt by people who live halfway around the world. A war in Ukraine complicates what's in stock at the supermarket in Egypt. A Chinese ship stuck in the middle of the Pacific delays the arrival time of the Father's Day gift you ordered yesterday afternoon. <laughs> you might think that the extent of our interconnectedness is something unique to our globally connected era, but that's just not true. After all, humankind's oldest spiritual traditions have been teaching us this fact, the very same fact that data scientists and economists just figured out that our world is vast and strange and chaotic, 
and radically connected. What I want you to consider this morning is that this connection spans more than just the lives of the living. So as Father's Day approached, I started thinking about my grandfather, my father's father, Julian, who I was lucky to know for just about two decades, my mother's father, Bobby, who died long before I was born. So these men's background are totally different. Their families of origin, the families they helped make the food they liked, the baseball teams they rooted for, the wars they fought in, all of it's different. But the whole of their lives was lived in connection to other people. All the people who cared for us were cared for by others. And so this feature of human life stretches back beyond history and memory for each one of us is an unbroken chain of personal recognition and love. Now I will admit that many of these chains have been broken in human history by tragedy, terror, and evil. But yours and mine, by the fact that we're here, by some grace, those tethers weren't broken. And it's these chains that connect us are far shorter than we might like to think. I'm going to give you some examples. So whenever we read in the history books that Jesus and the Roman Empire are roughly 2,000 years old, we seldom note that what separates us from the dinner party where Jesus ate his last supper and all those crowds that watched Julius Caesar march his army in and out of Rome is only about 100 people. Just about the same number of people who come to church here on a lot of Sundays. So I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine that you're standing next to your mother on one side and holding her hand and your father on the other and holding his hand. And now imagine that next to them and their hands are their mother and their father. And next to them is their mother's mother and on down the line. And while it's true that when I held my grandfather's hand, his was the only hand I was holding. And yet within his heart was the loving care of his father and his father's father. When I held my grandfather's hand, I was holding the hand of someone who lived through the Great Depression, a man who fought in the Second World War. And two hands away from my grandfather's was someone who fought in or read directly about the American Revolution. Five steps down the chain is someone who might have seen Shakespeare perform at the Globe. And 14 people down the chain is someone who lived through or maybe even died in the Black Death in Europe. And so my lineage, mainly Irish and English, it looks a certain way, and yours is no doubt different. And people whose ancestors suffered in the terrible cataclysms of history, their chains look vastly different than my own, and perhaps yours too. And yet I do not doubt that their chain is filled with bravery and creativity that endures today. Most of the people in your chain of existence knew a world that is all but forgotten to us. But within each of those links was just enough love to keep going. Just enough love to feel recognized in the eyes of someone who mattered. Somehow the chain endures and reminds us that my love, that your love, is bigger than you and me. One of the journalists who researches how the internet is shaping human life says that one of the ways we can break the karmic hellhole that keeps us stuck in a one-dimensional reflection of our past choices is to open up the way we browse the internet to our friends. How many of you would give your passwords over to your friends and let them search in your name? 
Literally no one raised their hand, okay. But let them browse around in your name for a while. Let them pick what to watch on Netflix the next time you stream something. Doing this, she says, lets a little air into the dirty, sock-smelling cave of your individual preferences where the superficial past of shopping and surfing and binge-watching keeps you isolated from the possibilities out there in the world. The faith we practice invites us to transgress the status quo, to make the first last, to love our neighbors as kin, to accept our limits, to reject the lie of rugged individualism and accept that we are all dependent on people who came before us, on the unknown millions around the world who sow the seeds and make the art and drive the nails that feed, inspire, and shelter us. And with that, on this Sunday before summer's official start on Tuesday, let me take a moment to wish all of you a wonderful summer. I really hope you have a great summer. But every time I say that I hope someone has a good summer, I sort of feel like a fraud. I mean, can anyone really have a great summer in these conditions? I mean, sure, we'll enjoy the cool waters at the Kaiser Pool, We'll rock out on Wednesdays at the 400 block. You might even go up north and enjoy the shores of Lake Michigan or Superior. But I imagine that lurking in the corners of our minds will be raging inflation, war, weirdos in Washington and eggheads in Madison. This is why hope is called the thing with feathers, the unseen force that frees us from expectation and embarrassment. Hope is called the pillar of fire in the night. But real hope, fundamental hope, is rooted in the truth that no matter how messed up things get, nobody gets cut off from God's love. And it's this love that stretches from history long since forgotten to you. Love that lives on in your children, in your friendship, in selfless acts of compassion. And so while some measure of karma is real, and in so much of life, you really do reap what you sow. The greatest gift of life is to learn how to sow so that others can reap. And so may your summer be a harvest of tenderness. May your days be long. May your nights be cool and restful and your laughter endless. Amen. I invite everyone to rise as you're willing and able for our closing hymn number 298, Wake Now My Senses.
someone this morning, I invite you to take their hand. If you're here alone, reach out with your heart. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that cast out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away. Please have a seat, relax, enjoy the postlude. After you, sir.